This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's brand new Season 2. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Welcome everyone to Forward Thinking, the podcast that's bigger, faster, stronger. I am your host, Jonathan Strickland, and I am joined by Lauren Vogelbaum. And Joe McCormick. And we wanted to talk about transhumanism, but specifically about how uh, prostheses have changed over the years and how they're going to change in the future and uh, the interfaces that we will use between our brains and a robotic prosthetic for those of us who need to be fitted with them. Um, And to really understand about uh, the development of prosthetics, you just got to look back a few decades, really, to see how far we've come. Because Dean Kamen, who is uh, a developer of many technologies, one of the most famous being the Segway, but also of something called the Luke Arm, which we'll talk about in a little bit, said, you know, you just look at the, the development. If you looked at prosthetic legs, they had progressed quite a bit. Uh, over the last several decades, but prosthetic arms had not. Essentially, if you had lost, say, a hand, you would get it replaced with a hook. And 
maybe a few years later, they developed it where you could have a hook that would have a clamp essentially on it that would be attached to other muscles. And when you would clinch those muscles, you could make the, the could clamp pinchy. come together. Yeah. yeah. You mm-hmm. could pinch things, pick things up, but still very limited mobility, very limited utility. And that this, this sort of state of affairs lasted way too long. Though it's surely not because the designers were lazy, right? This is really hard to do. Yeah, no, it's it's incredibly tricky to cr- design a a limb that can replace something as versatile as the as a human arm. When you think about um, the human arm, and you think about how many degrees of freedom you need, right, to to do something as complex as say playing a guitar, or even just like eating spaghetti, even sure. just, or even just picking up a cup when you're not entirely sure how how hard the cup is. That's that's not a thing that you find out until you touch it, and you've got this incredibly complex right. feedback system. Right. Yeah. How heavy it might be, so you mm-hmm. have to be. You know, we take it for granted. Those of us who who have all our limbs, we take it for granted because that's our daily experience, mm-hmm. right? So it's only when something has happened where uh, we need to have a limb replaced or maybe we were born without a limb that this really becomes a consideration that, you know, we think about for any length of time. Otherwise, it's just this is just life. I well, just, which I just reach course, over and pick up a cup. Yeah, yeah which of course happens all the time. And, and going way back into history with, with war, I mean, especially in history because we had less good medical technology. Yeah, um, less this... good was pretty much a mark of history. Yeah. <laughs> As far as the medical term technology went, no, and- no, <laughs> I tease Vogelbaum, but I say worse things on a nearly minute by minute basis. I like the word I, I "good." It's her. a good word. Um, yeah. uh, but you know, and then you've got you've got all kinds of, of science fiction things like uh, like uh, Star Wars, where sure. where you know Luke loses a hand. Wait, and what? Mad- oh. I've only made, worked my way up to episode two. Omg, spoilers. No. Um, <laughs> or or even even an Army of Darkness, where you know Ash goes back in time and somehow. Uh, it's the, concocts the, this mechanical hand. The, the gauntlet that's yeah. groo- it's yeah. groovy. I will say it's groovy. It's very um, groovy. For the longest time, we were looking at pretty limited uh, prosthetic arms. Uh, and really, that's where a lot of the, the focus on the technology has been recently. Although we've seen other type of, uh, of robotic aids, uh, not just for arms, but things like cochlear implants, things like that. But But arms are really what we were focusing on today. Well, it seems that What's the difficulty here, right? Yeah. Uh, we can create robotic arms these days that are incredibly precise. And I'm not talking about the kind of arms you put on a person. Right. You're talking about arms, like a stationary arm yeah, that might work on go, a manufacturing yeah, line. Yeah. Go look sure. at a, 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 you know, like a, an auto production facility mm-hmm. and look at the amazing arms they can build. The right. problem doesn't seem to be any more the design of the arm itself, but the interface between the arm and the human brain that controls it. Well, to be fair, there's also... I'm sorry, Lauren, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. no. I was just going to say, you know, we, we still know more about robotic mechanics than we really do about human brain mechanics, because the way that neurons work is kind of mysterious. Right. And, and on top of that, uh, just to go back to another challenge, that auto-assembly arm probably weighs several hundred pounds. Oh, sure. So, so <laughs> while it we does can, one thing, while we can, while it we has can, one job. Right. You had one thing to do today, <laughs> arm. But it uh, did it right 6,000 times. Right. But but again, you're talking about something that was made for industrial use. So you're talking about something that is meant to replace a lost human limb. Obviously, things you have to worry about, not just are the usability, but how heavy is it? It needs to be and the cost. The cost, well, the cost also, but really, I mean, putting cost aside for now, 
how heavy is it? You got to make it light enough so that a human being can can use this comfortably, or mm-hmm. else it's not useful, mm-hmm. right? It's not not something that's going to uh, increase someone's quality of life, which is really what we're talking about here. So it needs to be light. It needs to be efficient because if you have to constantly uh, uh, plug it in because the batteries are draining, then mm-hmm. that would be a, a quality of life issue as well. Mm-hmm. It needs to be versatile. It needs to be able to give you some sort of sensory feedback because uh, if you have a robotic arm that has uh, a po- ability to grip but no feedback, you wouldn't know how hard to grip something before picking it up. You could shatter yeah. glass. You're just or, squishing cups of coffee all yeah, the time, yeah. every day. Dare exactly. not uh, hug, your lo- hug your loved ones. Right. You wouldn't want to do that, uh, obviously, if you were unable to determine how tightly you were squeezing them without, I mean... Hearing them squeal in pain, obviously. So, so these are challenges. I mean, they're real challenges. It, it seems kind of easy to make light of it, but when you think of it from an engineering standpoint, these are real challenges to overcome. And uh, to kind of talk about where we've been recently, Dean Kamen, again, the guy who invented the Segway, he took on a project that he ended up calling the Luke Arm, and he named it after the character from uh, the, the Star Wars series, Luke Skywalker, who. The Star Wars series. Yes. It's a series. <laughs> okay. A series of three. Wouldn't it, right, be, wouldn't it be nice if they made some Star Wars prequels? I bet those would be swell. <laughs> uh, I love making that joke every time we bring this up. But yes, Star Wars, of course, Luke Skywalker has his arm lopped off by his daddy, Darth Vader, spoiler alert, and Empire really, Strikes Back. Really, it's just his hand, but go on. <laughs> it's, it is just his hand, but he ends up having more than just the hand replaced because uh-huh. you can see it in the wrist, right? Okay. Because okay. anyway, so he has his hand replaced with a robotic just, arm. So, just go. Yeah. So Dean came and named his robotic arm after that character, Luke Skywalker. And, uh, and what happened was he was actually approached by the United States government and they were telling him, uh, listen, we have a lot of uh, servicemen and women coming back from overseas who have suffered injuries in the line of duty. And while we can do a lot for anyone who's lost a leg because the technology has really improved quite a bit so that people can get around with some you know, limited mobility but better off than they were, uh, that technology hasn't really advanced to, to arms. So if someone's lost an arm, we don't have really anything sophisticated to mm-hmm. help replace it. And so they gave him a challenge and they said, we need you to develop a technology that will allow a person who has lost all or part of an arm to have essentially the same mobility they would have if they still had their arm. The, it can't weigh more than a normal, quote-unquote, an average, really, I shouldn't say normal, an average human arm. Uh, and it needs to have some sort of sensory feedback so you know how tightly to grip something when you're picking it up. And uh, and at first, Dean came in and said, wow, I, I don't know that this is possible because you're talking about developing something that's, that's really so light. Advanced. Uh-huh. Yeah. Advanced and light. Those are the two things, right? It needed to have a lot of technology in it, and it needed to have, it needed to be made in uh, out of a material and uh, enough uh, with enough power, but still be light, so that someone would not feel like it's a burden to wear it. And so they developed this Luke Arm system, and the early ones had an interface that was completely. Uh, I mean, it was electronic, but it was similar to like a mechanical system in the sense that you would have buttons that you would operate, but with your feet. You would wear, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your shoes would have the the controls in them. And by putting pressure on your toes or the balls of your feet or the heels, you could make the arm do different things like rise. You, you, there, there's a great video that shows uh, an amputee who uh, has lost nearly all of one arm and all of the other arm. And uh, and he's wearing a Luke arm that gives him uh, the ability. Uh, uh, I think it's his left arm that he's he's 
got now with the Luke arm, where he can do things like uh, if he leans forward, the arm bends at the elbow, so he can bend his, uh, bring his hand closer to his face. Mm-hmm. And if he leans back, then it extends the elbow. And then by operating a switch with, uh, by by leaning his neck just a little bit, he could change it so he could rotate the wrist by doing those same commands. So through a series of subtle, and these are subtle, it's not like it's not like he has to lean way forward to have this happen, mm-hmm. but a few subtle muscular movements. He can operate this robotic arm. So uh, that's one form of interface. Now, granted, in this case, you really have to train yourself how to operate this robotic arm using uh, all these different uh, motions. It's almost like, in a way, playing a video game, manipulating a digital character through physical controls. Mm -hmm. Same sort of thing. You're not you're not sending commands directly from the brain to the robotic arm. You're doing you're saying, all right, well. Here's what I need to do. I need to lift my arm up, so I have to put pressure on my toes so that I can give the command to lift up the arm. It has to become second nature, yeah. And any prosthesis is going to involve people learning those kind of commands. They're they're making these retinal prostheses these days that have an array of electrodes in, in place of the cells that would normally detect light for you uh-huh. and and they're they're hooked up to a to a kind of kind of like google glasses sort of like a little video camera and glasses that you can wear right and um the glasses tell you when you're seeing something they send a, a signal back to the electrodes the electrodes send a signal to your brain but it's not like you're seeing it you have to learn how to interpret the messages sure like you might see sent. you might see blocks that are representing an object in your in your field of view and the greater the resolution, the n- the more blocks you will see, and the closer those blocks will resemble whatever the shape is. So in general, with these, right now, the state of the art, as I understand it, is that it lets you see that there's a shape in front of you, but it doesn't really give you a lot of definition yet, but it's incredibly promising. Yeah. But we're always trying to get closer, aren't we? Yeah. And there there are some people who have gotten amazingly close, mm-hmm. as it seems to me. And by close, I'm talking about the connection between the brain and the the uh, movement of the prostheses uh, in a way that feels natural. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go to move your your arm, assuming you, you have an, uh, a regular human arm that's still attached to you, just like most people have, um, you don't have to think about a series of commands to do it. It's intuitive. Right. You just think move and it moves. You think pinch and it pinches. Could we get there? Well, that's something I think a lot of uh, people who design prostheses have been thinking about for a long sure. time. Sure. It's a great goal. Right. And so uh, I saw a really interesting TED Talk by um, a guy who designs prostheses. And his name was, I think I'm pronouncing this right, it was Todd Kaiken. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about a process called targeted muscle reinnervation. And uh, if I understand correctly, the way this works is they can essentially simulate that direct connection between the brain and the movement of the prosthesis. Mm -hmm. And uh, it works like this. So you've got a mechanical arm that has, you know, a certain number of degrees of freedom and actions it can do, like, say, you know, uh, move the forearm up and down by bending at the elbow Mm -hmm. or pinch by moving the, you know, the muscles in the arm and the hand. Um, And in us, all of these things are controlled by nerve impulses through, you know, nerves that go down the arm. Sure. Now, they can't connect those nerves directly to a machine yet. They don't know how to do it. 
we just haven't figured that out, the way to get the nerve to send the signal directly to a machine to make it do the job. Right, but, to, to essentially to build a new pathway for the ones that were lost or, mm-hmm. or maybe were never there. Right, but they can reroute it mechanically. And, and what he showed is that um, they would perform a surgery where they would take these nerves out of the arm and they'd reroute them to a, a, a muscle that's not used much, like they would near the top of the pectoral muscle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And each of these nerves would lead to uh, a small patch of muscle up in the upper pectoral. And so when the person sends that that thought, that the, command. the, same, the mm-hmm. command that that we use, you know, when you have a, a, an uninjured arm or a, a regular arm um, to pinch, that sends a muscle command. And it would make the muscle, in this case, the uh, upper pectoral where the nerve has been routed, contract. Now, they can teach the machine, based on sensors attached to that muscle, to learn how to do those commands. So essentially, by creating a, a, a mechanical uh, detour mm-hmm. for the signal to follow, you can create direct brain-to-prosthesis communication. Right. So, so the person with this arm really thinks pinch and the arm pinches. Right. So, so almost instead of teaching the, the person how to rethink the process, they're teaching the machine how to rethink the process. Yeah, how, exactly. how the machine, how to interpret those those muscle contractions. That Essentially, like, when this part of the muscle contracts, that means rotate the wrist. That kind of thing. Because that's what that's the actual command that's coming from the brain. Uh, that's yeah, so cool. It's really yeah. fascinating. <laughs> and and that's, that's a... That's I got a, bump, chill bumps when I was watching. Yeah, it's, a huge, it's a huge leap ahead. And it's an amazing development... And it's very promising. Uh, and I, I imagine that the next step would have be the b- direct brain interface where we don't even have that uh, that that little mechanical stopover. Uh, sure. Stopover. Sure. Because right now there's a problem with real estate, right? You, you've you've only got so much muscle on your body that mm-hmm. you can use to amplify these nerve signals. Right. And by doing that, you're taking up muscles that really should be used for other things. Right, right. Yeah, you, there are only a few muscles that we would not think of as being really necessary for uh day-to-day life you know things that things that you you have but you're not using them all right. the time for some other purpose uh you know clearly if it were something else that you were um, using all the time then that would interfere like when you were trying to actually accomplish one task it would have a second task going on with your robotic limb because mm-hmm. it was being mis- it was misinterpreting the commands yeah um yeah because again the the machine itself doesn't know anything it doesn't know one command from another it just when it detects that there's this this activity going on it that's a command mm-hmm. for it to do something the machine's not itself is not intelligent it's just reacting in a very specific way to a very specific uh uh input so yeah i think the next step is the whole brain uh computer interface which is going to go well beyond just prosthetics or prostheses i should say uh, Joe corrected me before the show. Oh yeah, and prosthetic is an adjective. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's yes, it's prosthesis. Hey, Joe, what do you call well, it? I think, you, I think I said it that way earlier too. What do you, what do you call it when you have to set your clocks back an hour? Uh, anyway, <laughs> oh, you mean? <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's exciting to see this development and uh, and very encouraging. And and I I highly recommend if you have not gone online and watched that TED Talk or watched uh, some of the videos about Dean Kamen's Luke arm, I recommend watching them. They're very inspiring. And it's to see the people who this is affecting, the the people who have 
are, are suddenly regaining abilities that they might have lost more than a decade or two decades ago. And to hear them talk about that experience is really a phenomenal thing. Yeah. And and a lot of the people who are working on this, on this medical technology, they credit the fact that, you know, you're actually seeing lives change because of what you do. And that's why they're doing it. It's not because there's some sort of lucrative contract involved. It's all about when you see someone's life change in that that huge a way and, and that they are suddenly much more self-reliant because of it. That's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, it's a great story. And those are very inspiring videos. I highly recommend checking them out. So I have a question for you all. Sure. Imagining that this trend is going to continue like mm -hmm. most technological trends do. Um, how far away do you think we are from a time when you can create a, a prosthetic arm that's virtually indistinguishable from the arm you're born with? Well, right now we can already create uh, limbs that give some form of force feedback, although usually that's to let us, you know, usually that ends up being something like a little vibrating motor. So, mm -hmm. it, and the more it vibrates, the harder you are gripping something. Mm -hmm. So right now that's, you know, kind of an artificial uh, way of determining how hard you're gripping it. I would say that this is so much fun because whenever you're talking about future technologies, it's always safe to go with, we're 20 years away because we're, <laughs> right. we're always 20 years away. Yeah. It depends on the technology. Either yeah. you're always 20 years away or you're always a decade out. Yeah. Time but, travel, 20 years away. Yeah. 20 years away. Yeah. 20 years away. I feel Singularity, pretty, 20, 20 years away. I feel 20 pretty, to 22. Yeah. But, but seriously, I mean, we're, <laughs> the complex nature of creating a brain-computer interface that is seamless is it, you can't it's impossible for me to overstate how complicated that is yeah. because we we honestly we don't understand everything about the brain. So until we have a true understanding of the brain, it's very difficult to create an interface that's going to work especially seamlessly. Yeah. yeah especially across a population, right? It, oh, sure. You you have to build them almost from the ground up on an individual basis because yeah. we don't have enough of an understanding to approach it from a more general uh, standpoint. So final answer 20 years. <laughs> Lauren, I'm gonna. I while, while we're making up numbers, I'm gonna say fifty. Fifty years, definitely. Okay. 50. Lauren's a pessimist. Joe, uh, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. Why do you ask a question? Because you just wanted to know. Because y'all are smarter than me. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. <laughs> I do not think that's true. <laughs> Don't comment. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, I'm just kidding, Joe. Joe's a very bright guy. Uh, <laughs> almost human level intelligence again. <laughs> so <laughs> snap. <laughs> but anyway, no, no. This this is a really interesting topic and it's one of those where i think uh when you see the benefits of the technology it's i can't imagine not being inspired by it i find it you know an, an incredible story so i'm really eager to see this continue in the future uh and meanwhile we want to know what you guys think about the future what your, what excites you about the future and we want this to really be a conversation so go to fwthinking.com be part of our group uh you can follow us on facebook on twitter on google plus we're at all those locations. We're eager to have this conversation with you. Find out what makes you excited about the future. Let us know. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.